Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. And I'm Jennifer Watley-Maxell, the Program Curator for the Ministry Collaborative. Obviously, we are living in a time of seismic shifts. And these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time. These recordings took place before the most recent painful and poignant examples of racial injustice in our society. The Ministry Collaborative seeks to promote and nurture deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world and our place in it. And so with all that, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, and I've got the great pleasure to speak with my friend and colleague, Amy Star Redwine. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you. Amy, tell me about your ministry setting now and just a bit about where you've been in ministry. Yeah, well, right now I am in Richmond, Virginia at First Presbyterian Church, which is a relatively large church in the PCUSA in a neighborhood in the city of Richmond that is very much a neighborhood. Um, I wouldn't say it exactly feels like the suburb, but we are not downtown. I have been the pastor and head of staff at First Presbyterian for a little over a year now. So in my book, that's still a relatively new call. But it have really found it to be a wonderful community of people who are curious. Actually, curious and earnest are the two words that I would use for this particular congregation, which mm-hmm. I have found to be a really lovely combination as we have been in ministry together. I know you've had other calls. You graduated from seminary about 20 years ago, right? I did. I graduated seminary about 20 years ago. And the one thing I did not expect to find in seminary was a husband. (laughs) (laughs) But that's part of what happened to me in seminary. And I say that because I do think that that actually impacted my own journey into ministry. Um, When I met uh, my husband, Derek, whom you know well Mm -hmm. um, and have worked with, I think part of what happened was I just couldn't quite get my head around both of us being in church ministry. Mm. And so I say that because that impacted my sense of call to ministry. When I met and married Derek, and we got married uh, right after he graduated, and I had another year in seminary, I just really couldn't get my head around both of us being in church ministry and being married at the same time. So when he took his first call, which was as your associate pastor in Denver, Colorado, I really tried actually very hard to find something else that I could do. I spent some years um, focused on writing, creative writing, and some um, freelance writing, took a detour to medical school for a little while, and then finally, uh, in my first year of medical school, really had what I would kind of think of as a come to Jesus with myself about whether 
maybe I already had the education and the calling to do what I was trying to find um, there, but to do it in ministry. Mm -hmm. So um, I left medical school and um, began to explore more seriously a call to ministry. So my first call was at a small Presbyterian church in Northeast Ohio in Akron. I was a halftime pastor of a small neighborhood church, lovely group of people, great place to start ministry. And at the time, I had very young children. So the halftime was actually a good thing for me then. And then I was actually called to be Derek's associate pastor at kind of a mid-sized church also in Akron. And we had a couple of great years working together, which wasn't something we expected to do, but really enjoyed and found very meaningful. And then he was called to a new church in Cleveland. And after we'd been in Cleveland for a year, I was called to a more urban setting, a church in the University Circle neighborhood of Cleveland, where Case Western Reserve University is, ironically, where I had been in medical school. So (laughs) (laughs) everything comes full circle or something like that. Yeah. So in that journey, just in the largest, I guess, broad brush thing, how is your perspective on ministry changed over these two decades? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the way I might answer that is to share how I feel I have changed. I think being relatively, you know, even though it was a few years after I graduated seminary, when I first started working as a pastor, I was still relatively young. And um, certainly, I know the congregations I served saw me as very young, because it's all relative, right? But I was trying to be the minister I thought I should be, Hmm. which is not necessarily the same as really being authentic to um, the ministry that I think God was really calling me and the, the way that God was calling me to be a leader. So I do feel that at this point now, serving the fourth church I've served, and I think each one, there's been more clarity around that, particularly around what kind of leader I feel I am. And I feel like I have more permission. You know, one of the things that's really important to me is to have a collaborative relationship with my staff members, to really seek their input and to not be too concerned that I have to always be the one to kind of say, here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. And I feel much more comfortable (laughs) in that place. So it's a little experience, a little hard-earned wisdom has um, certainly been helpful to me as I have um, been on this journey. Yeah. And obviously, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, which is nothing we ever thought we would be going through. Yeah. Again, from your perspective, what's happening to what church is for and what it's to do? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And um, from my perspective, I think what's happening is we're undergoing a great transformation. And I think a lot of What's happening that we're having to grapple with is our self-understanding. I don't know that this is changing so much about how the culture sees the church. I think that has changed so rapidly and so significantly in the last few decades. But I think that those who were really dedicated to the church as it has been have been able to kind of stay in that bubble of thinking 
you know, maybe we can continue to be as we've always been. And I, I think that bubble has burst, Mark. And <laughs> really? Shocking. I do. And, you know, on the one hand, yes, it's challenging. There is loss and grief involved in that. On the other hand, I have moved my weekly Bible study onto Zoom, as so many of us have moved things onto Zoom or other virtual uh, ways of being. And it is just glorious to see. I mean, I think the average age is probably 75. And all of these folks who never would have thought that they either could figure this out or would have any interest in doing so are showing up. And, you know, like this week, I think it was the first week we didn't even have to talk about the technology. We just <laughs> got down to the Bible study, you know, like, okay, this is where we are now. That and might be a sign of Jesus coming again, oh, but good for you. Well, I was going to say to see, I mean, the church and you, you know, this certainly, um, because we've talked a lot about the importance of being nimble in ministry. And we have to talk about that because most of the time we're not. Mm-hmm. And we're fighting against that. And suddenly, you know, I just, this phrase just keeps going through my mind. Well, you know, necessity is the mother of invention or adapt or die. You know, if we don't, right now we're in this place where we have to change the way we've been doing things. But again, I think it really is changing how we think about ourselves. And some of the questions that I think pastors have been grappling with for a while now, but um, some congregations have had the luxury not to ask and not to wrestle with. We don't have that luxury anymore. And for that, I'm grateful. That's good. One of the things, Amy, among the many things I admire about how you go about ministry is, I think one of the dangers pastors can get into is being in an echo chamber, mm-hmm. either an echo chamber of their own social location in their congregation or corresponding with and listening to colleagues, all of whom will tell us that we're absolutely fabulous and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you seem to have avoided echo chambers and you seem to have a very broad and deep reservoir of the way you engage the world. Uh, how have you gone about that? Well, that's very kind of you to say. So it helps to be married to another minister in that regard. <laughs> I think we both are each other's greatest cheerleaders. And I wouldn't say greatest critics, but you know, when you when you live with somebody who knows you that well, I mean, you know, we both have a pretty good idea of how just not holy we are. <laughs> and I think we are quick to say, oh, tell me why you did it that way, or tell me more about that, or that affirmation that we try to provide each other is thoughtful. Um, but I would also say, Mark, it's, we are so, I think Derek and I both have been so fortunate in the colleagues that we've had and, you know, right from the very beginning, um, certainly with you and also Amy Miracle, um, who was also at Central Pres in Denver. And, you know, I really think that both of you were people that I just sat in awe of how you engaged the world and that your lives and your ministry encompass so much more than the church. Um, you read widely, you, you know, watched all kinds of television shows and, and movies and brought those into your work and into your sermons. And I think that was very permission giving for me Hmm. that the things that I liked that didn't necessarily fall in the category of strictly theological 
were allowed, you know, to spark my imagination and enter my preaching and um, biblical interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really helpful kind of at the beginning of ministry. Hmm. One, one of the ways I'm looking at any crisis, I mean, several things. One is we become more of who we are in a crisis. I think that's hmm. true of family systems, of individuals, and of churches. But also the, uh, the image I'm using often is when I was in Texas and there was a huge drought, the lakes just drained. And when they hit you know, they, nothing there, all sorts of things that have been dumped into the lake through the years were revealed. Abandoned cars, dead bodies, <laughs> uh, jewelry, stuff like that. What's being unveiled about the church in this crisis? That is a great image, Mark. So even in that image that you described, you hit on the fact that when something like this happens, what's going to be revealed it's not going to be all bad, and it's not going to be all good. And so for me, in my particular setting, I think what this crisis is revealing is the incredibly deep compassion and support that has been built over many, many years in the First Presbyterian community. Um, there's just a lot of love there, and um, it's been kind of amazing to be the recipient of a lot of that, even having been in a part of this community for a relatively short period of time. You know, I've been in ministry long enough to feel a little bit of trepidation when you do anything new, that there's going to be some blowback, if not a lot. And so, you know, I think I spent the first few weeks just cringing every time I opened an email, sort of waiting to see, and just the support that was expressed, which is not to say that people liked everything we were trying, but they liked that we were trying and they could see that. So I'm really grateful to have seen, and not just support for me, but really the support for one another has been inspiring. I think the other thing, you know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about, and I think the metaphor I read or uh, have used to describe it is our society is being subjected to like an x-ray right now. And we are seeing all of the broken places, some of which were sort of hairline fractures that were going to get us eventually, some that were pretty significant, and we've been hobbling around trying to pretend they weren't broken. And we can't deny that anymore. The inequality, the way that different races are being affected just by the virus itself, which is clearly not just about the virus, but about some of the other inequities in our system. And I think what, what's also being revealed is not all churches have a lot of tools to figure out how to acknowledge and confront that. That's a challenge right now. Yeah, resilience sure. is in short supply. Yeah. And I don't know a way of doing remedial resilience work in the middle of a crisis. Right. Uh, and I say that with a very tender heart toward people who are struggling for that. But there's some things you got to kind of be ready for. And I think this has caught us, uh, at least in many places, not wanting it. You mentioned, and, and I totally agree, the, the utter disparity of this pandemic and how it is not falling equally on everyone by any stretch of the imagination. In your ministry, how do you uh, enact that really important but challenging balance between joy and justice? Yeah, it's hard. And I have felt the challenge of it 
in this season in a whole new way, because there's no question in my mind that the people in my congregation are struggling with what's happening right now. And they're struggling personally, but most of them are struggling because they've been inconvenienced in ways that they haven't had to experience before. Um, You know, with the exception of some people who have been sick and suffering in that way, we are not bearing the brunt of the suffering that is out there right now. And I initially, I felt like I really needed to be a pastoral and compassionate voice. But then, you know, after several weeks of that, and particularly after Easter, I have felt more urgency to name some of the injustices. And I, I mean, personally, I still struggle with that. And part of that is being relatively new to a community that I'm still getting to know and Mm -hmm. really understand and how to say the hard things in a way that you will be heard and taken, not taken seriously so much as that it, it sinks in and actually makes a difference. Yeah, yeah that's sure. a long-term project for so sure. It is, it is. <laughs> and, but I appreciate your raising it, and I think it's something we need to keep in front of ourselves, particularly, frankly, as white mainline people of privilege that we need to struggle with this all the time. Well, and I am really sensitive to being in Richmond, yeah. where the 400 year anniversary of the slave trade. And there are people in this city really trying to grapple with that. Some of them in my congregation, which is not quite the same thing as the congregation as a whole, really taking on that work. And Mm -hmm. again, I think that's something that we are going to need to do. And maybe this, what we're going through right now is will help us get there sooner. Yeah. What is going too fast that needs to slow down and what is going too slowly that needs to speed up in the world of church and faith? Well, right in this moment, and maybe even generally, I think what's going too fast is, I think as a church, even before this crisis, we are trying really hard to kind of leap over the liminal space that we're Mm -hmm. in and find, you know, it's a trite phrase at this point, but a new normal And one of the metaphors that has come to me about the crisis that we're in is we keep looking for solid ground and just not finding it. It's like trying to walk in one of those houses filled with bouncy balls. You know, Um, It's a bit of an absurd process, but I actually think on some level, we, the church has been doing that for a while now. I think we've been able to pretend like we, we had solid ground, but now again, that has become more urgent, but I would love to see us maybe just stand still here for a few mm. minutes and say, okay, so we're, there's no solid ground. We're treading water. What do we have to learn here? And let's not miss the opportunity. I think as far as what's going to slow, that's a good question. I am frustrated that it has taken something like this for us to really acknowledge and grapple with some of the gross inequities Mm -hmm. in our society. And not that, I mean, there have been people naming this and grappling with it, but I think white mainline, relatively affluent churches, we just haven't had to. And so we haven't. And I hope that's something that we can speed up because of this. Yeah, good. What delights you in ministry? Oh, well, I think one thing that delights me is when people feel 
equipped to use their gifts in ways that really make a difference in the church. I had the great pleasure yesterday of talking to a relatively new member, a recent college graduate, and inviting her to be on the finance committee. She was so excited, which was just delightful. (laughs) I had purposely not told her what committee we were asking her to serve on because I was afraid she wouldn't even talk to me. Mm -hmm. And when I told her, she just didn't even flinch. I mean, we were on the phone, so I don't know. Maybe she did, but at least not in a way that I could tell. And then she just kept saying, it means so much to me to be asked to serve. And so that really was delightful. And I will also say I have delightful colleagues to be in ministry with, um, both within the church and beyond my particular church. And and that is such a gift. Yeah. Finally, what's a scripture that is sustaining you in this season? So usually after Easter, I like to preach from Acts and really think about the early church and what we have to learn from it. This year, that just wasn't resonating with me. And I think actually, after a conversation with you, I decided I wanted to look at post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to the disciples. So I've been preaching on those these last few weeks. And then this week in my Bible study, we were looking at the Ascension texts. And I think what all of these have in common is that the disciples are in this incredibly in-between, uncertain, unknown space. They don't really get who this resurrected Jesus is or what he's all about. And certainly after he's ascended and, you know, just that's one of my favorite biblical images is the disciples just like, as they say in Britain, gobsmacked, staring up at the sky and having to be told, you got to get moving. But they go back to Jerusalem to wait. You know, even though they get moving, they're still a season of waiting. And I think we are certainly in that season now. None of us have the answers. There is no playbook for the time that we're in. And we don't like that. I don't like it any more than anybody else, but it's where we are. And biblically, it's where God's people often are. So it's a good place for us to be. Amy, it's been fantastic talking to you. I so admire you and your ministry. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Well, likewise, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it has been truly delightful. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 